0: In the talk this evening, I'd like to talk about ideals and actualities. Probably one of the more major sources of discontent that arises in our lives is the gap that can seem to exist between our ideals and the actualities that we experience. Our ideals, of course, exist in the future, Our ideals are concerned with who we would like to become, who we would like to be in the future, what we would like to have or change or achieve. And our actualities are concerned with now, with our moment-to-moment experience in our lives, the ways in which we experience ourselves, our relationships, the very quality of our worlds in the moment. And the gap between our ideals and our actualities, can often feel to be really very immense. Our ideals exist in our minds, they exist in our intuitions, and they exist apart from now. They exist in the future. Whereas we are confronting the actuality of ourselves, the actuality of our lives, in each moment of our lives, and our actualities the way of our lives, is something that we can't avoid. And often they feel to be polarized, incompatible, miles apart from each other, what we would like to be and who we are, what we would like to have, and what we do have, what we would like to achieve, and the way we're experiencing our lives in the moment, the ways in which we would like to be living, the quality of life we would like to be experiencing, and the actuality that we are experiencing in this moment. And yet despite that separation and the gap that can seem to exist between our ideals and our actualities, there's obviously a relationship. There's a relationship between who we would like to become and who we are. There's a relationship between what we would like to have or how we would like to live and what we do have and how we are living. And so often what our ideals are expressing is our own unfulfilled needs and aspirations. Our ideals are expressing the needs and the aspirations that we don't feel to be fulfilled in our lives in the moment. And so we find ourselves often reaching towards these ideals because ideals basically are ideals for us because they offer to us a sense of meaning and a sense of significance in our lives. Our ideals promise to fulfill something that we feel to be unfulfilled, or our ideals promise to complete something that in the moment in our lives feels to be incomplete. Sometimes that reaching towards ideals is a very intuitive kind of feeling. It's a very intuitive reaching, You know, we want to bring about changes within ourselves. We have ideals of being loving, peaceful, compassionate, clear, because we know that those experiences will enrich our lives. We know that those experiences will enrich our own sense of who we are in the moment. And yet, at times, our reaching towards ideals is also something that is very conditioned You know, sometimes we set up ideals of what we must become or what we must have or achieve our lives, and we find ourselves pursuing them, feeling that we must have them, and yet that very feeling of, I must have something, is so often determined and conditioned by the kind of values and standards that our culture, our society, is constantly throwing out to us because we see in our world again and again this repeated emphasis on having, on gaining, on possessions, on being secure, on having prestige, and basically in our culture, you are a worthy person and a successful person, and often considered to be a complete person. If you manage to achieve these kind of values and standards that are dispensed, And you're often considered to be an inadequate person or an unworthy person or a failure if you don't manage to achieve those standards which are given such great value in our culture. And so we pursue at times those ideals to have more, to be more, to become someone. And we feel that we need to achieve those ideals And that sense of need so much comes out of needing not so much the things that are sought for, but needing the affirmation and the approval of other people of our society. And because we use those standards of having and gaining and achieving in a very real way to measure our own worth, to measure our own sense of adequacy, to measure our own sense of success or completion as a person and yet when we find ourselves pursuing that kind of ideals that comes out of this feeling that i must have something or i really need to have something i wonder if you if it's not true that you found that so often the ideals remain very elusive because built into those ideals is this kind of equation that by having and succeeding and gaining and achieving, basically there is a promise of happiness. There's a promise of fulfillment and a promise of completion. And yet so often, too, that promise is one which is simply not kept or not fulfilled. We find that we do have, we do achieve, that we do gain at times, and yet that doesn't necessarily bring a sense of fulfillment inwardly. It doesn't necessarily bring peace. It doesn't necessarily bring a sense of completion inwardly. And yet the very feeling of being left with that incompletion or that feeling of unfulfillment, lack of fulfillment, then becomes then the new motive, the new intention, simply to pursue more, that perhaps I haven't done enough. Perhaps I haven't achieved enough. Perhaps I haven't gained enough. And so often we see that those kind of ideals are really nothing more than projections that are bound in time. And chasing these rainbows, chasing these rainbows, seeking for these elusive promises is a pursuit that basically characterizes our culture. And it's a pursuit which is the source of so much discontent, and also so much insensitivity. You can see, I feel in relationship to ideals, there are both a positive and a negative effect. There is something that I would call in life to be an experience of mature dissatisfaction. And mature dissatisfaction, to me, is the capacity to look at the actuality of our world to see the alienation, to see the, the insensitivity, to see the exploitation, and to know very deeply that that way of being and that way of living is simply unacceptable and unsatisfactory. And at times our experiences of feeling angry or of feeling frustrated in relation in our relationship to the world, those feelings of frustration I feel are very, very valid messages that tell us about the quality of the world that we live in, messages that need to be honored and to be respected. Mature dissatisfaction is also something that exists in relationship to our own inner experience. You know, if we look within ourselves and we see that there's a repetition of destructive patterns of reaction, if we see that there's a repetition of mental states which are undermining and destructive to our well-being, if we see that we hold negative and limited images about who we are that limit our own potential as a human being, then that seeing of that and the frustration with it to me is an expression of mature dissatisfaction is to see that there is a lack of fulfilment in our lives, to see that there is conflict. But to me, the basic expression of mature dissatisfaction is that it is translated into action, that when we see the unsatisfactoriness or when we see the lack of fulfilment, basically we direct ourselves towards actualizing change. We call upon our own resources of energy, and we call upon our own resources of effort to bring about an end to the dissatisfaction that we experience. Mature dissatisfaction is really looking at that feeling of discontent or conflict in our lives, looking at the source of that conflict, and really questioning inwardly if it is necessary for us to live in a way of discontent, of conflict, of dissatisfaction. And in that questioning, then, directing our attention and our energy to bringing about the changes that are needed both outwardly and inwardly to enhance and contribute to a greater sense of well being, of peace, and of rapport. When we do seek, to bring about changes in our lives. We do have goals. There's no doubt that we have goals every time we seek to bring about a change. We don't try and make changes in order to stay the same. And then those goals that we are aspiring to, those goals become our ideals. And if those goals are based upon a mature dissatisfaction, then those ideals can be a source of inspiration to us. They can help us to really direct ourselves to ending dissatisfaction. And that seeking for that change is based upon a realistic vision of our own possibility and our own limitation. It means looking at the ways of both inwardly and outwardly to end the gap between actuality and ideal. And then that kind of holding of ideals is something that is positive in our lives. It is something that can bring great benefit. But there is also an experience in living that I would call an immature dissatisfaction. It's when we we perhaps look inwardly at ourselves, or we perhaps look at the quality of our lives and we don't like it. You know, we don't like who we are, We don't like the way we're living. We don't like the kind of personal world that we find ourselves experiencing. And when there is immature dissatisfaction, there's different avenues that we take. And one of the very common ones is blame, you know? We think, if only my partner was different, if only my children were different, if only my environment was different, then I would be happy. And then the source of unhappiness or the source of dissatisfaction is constantly placed and projected outside of ourselves. And when there is that immature dissatisfaction, either we find ourselves becoming extraordinarily cynical or else we find ourselves becoming angry and resentful towards the people, the situations, the experiences in our lives that seem to prevent us from being happy, that seem to be the obstacles for us really experiencing a greater sense of fulfilment and peace inwardly. And when there is that feeling of immature dissatisfaction, then the gap between our ideals and our actualities tends to remain immense. And our ideals then are constantly projected Further and further into the future. And then we might find ourselves kind of passively waiting for things or people in our outer world to change before we change. You know, and this is such a common experience probably for parents, is waiting. You know, when when my children get older or when I have more time or when I have more space or when I finish this, then I'll be able to direct my attention and energy towards bringing about change that will be really beneficial for me. And in that passivity that so easily comes because of a lack of energy, basically we find ourselves accepting dissatisfaction, accepting unfulfillment, accepting a feeling of incompletion as being just the way things are, just as a part of our lives. It's a very short step, really, from that kind of passivity to indifference. And the basic quality or the basic characteristic of immature dissatisfaction is inaction. It's a lack of movement, a lack of change, a lack of vitality, both inwardly and outwardly. And sometimes in that passivity or in that immature dissatisfaction, we withdraw And we kind of almost defend ourselves against change and instead settle for more limited images of ourselves, settle for roles which bring resentment, settle for feelings of unfulfillment. It doesn't mean just because we settle for that that discontent doesn't arise. Because we may indeed find ourselves being passive or being indifferent, But the very anger and the frustration and the discontent that we experience shows us or tells us really how difficult it is for us to accept a lack of completion, for us to accept a lack of fulfillment. And yet when the discontent arises, the feeling of frustration that I don't like what's happening in my life, we tend then, in immature dissatisfaction, just to push it away to try to do whatever we can not to experience that feeling of discontent. We push it away by distracting ourselves or we push it away by substituting something else for it, either in the form of pleasure or in the form of security. Ideals are, are manufactured inwardly and ideals are also absorbed just through the... our own exposure to the culture that we live in. You know, we have presented to us all kind of manner of ideals. Certainly there's no shortage of ideals in our world. We have presented to us all the time the kind of picture of an ideal existence where we have the ideal relationship and the ideal job and the ideal lifestyle. As children, too, we are presented with images Of what an ideal person it is you know what it really means to be good and to be worthy what we should become in order to feel happy or complete or fulfilled and we absorb those ideals that surround us and often too we internalize those ideals we absorb and they become the basis for the ideals that we hold in our own lives we create our images of what we should be, what we should be experiencing, what we should have. And ideals permeate almost every level of our culture and our being and we respond to them. You know often ideals do really strike a chord of response within us because ideals offer us the possibility of a way of living, a way of being in which there's happiness and in which there's fulfillment we probably all of us find ourselves having, if we think of it, ideals about relationship. You know, we have the ideals of the kind of relationships we'd like to have, like to experience. You know, we have the ideals of relationship in which there's kind of endless love and generosity and spaciousness and openness. We also find ourselves very much confronted with our actualities. Mm-hmm times when there's pettiness, times when there's bickering, times when there's a lot of separation or distance. We have ideals about probably parenting. You know, probably we would all like as parents to be able to give our children freedom and support and encouragement and create for them an environment in which they can flourish and blossom. And we also have our actualities, times when we find ourselves in our roles of parents, being resentful, feeling overwhelmed, um, being controlling. And at times, too, probably most of you, and I certainly have, you know, felt a kind of sense of horror when I've you know, have this intention of creating this kind of wonderful environment and suddenly I hear myself speaking with the voice of my father or my mother, you know, and I think, oh no, that is just not what I want to do or not what I want to be. We can't help but see that in our relationships often with our parents and with our children, We tend to enact our own unresolved conflicts and we enact our own unresolved rebellions. You know, if you were brought up in a very authoritarian environment that you rebelled against very strongly, you may find yourself in your own relationship endeavouring to be totally unauthoritarian. If you were brought up in an environment where there was a lot of discipline and control, you may find yourself in your own relationship endeavouring to totally discard discipline and control, emphasising space and freedom to explore. If you were grown up in an environment where there was harshness and distance, you probably find that in your own relationship what you endeavour to do is almost exactly the opposite of it. And we can see in the very kind of mirror of our relationships how our ideals so often do represent unfulfilled desires and unfulfilled needs and yet seeing it you know sometimes we feel aha uh-huh, i want to make changes i don't i want to be different as a partner as a parent as a person and yet we're also very aware that willpower and control and resolutions doesn't bring about the fulfillment of our ideals And we're also aware, too, that as long as our ideals of how we would like to be or what we would like to become, as long as they remain unfulfilled, then the conflict and the discontent that we experience in our lives is magnified. There can be mature dissatisfaction in our lives when we find things unsatisfactory and when we're actualizing change. And there's also a point when mature dissatisfaction, if it is prolonged, can turn into immature dissatisfaction. You know, if you're in that place as a parent, as a person in your life, where you want to bring about changes, and you try to bring about changes, but nothing happens, you, you direct energy and you direct effort to try and make things different, but it doesn't work out, You try and make all these plans to bring about changes and they fail. After, If there's a prolonging of that kind of mature dissatisfaction and a lack of change, then there's a point then when mature dissatisfaction through frustration and through feelings of failure turns into immature dissatisfaction when we no longer look for ways to bring about change. when we we then begin to feel resentful, feel angry, place blame, and instead no longer seek to find ways to bring about changes inwardly or outwardly. And that frustration and resentment is probably one of the most difficult things that we find ourselves living (coughs) with. How to stay with frustration, how to stay with a feeling of of failure, how to stay with those feelings of resentment. It's extraordinarily difficult. So often when we feel that resentment, of course our minds begin to move dramatically. When we feel failure or resentment, our minds go to the past, and then our minds, our memories, tend to be incredibly selective. You know, we remember all the kind of rosy times, the happy memories, or our minds go to the future, dwell upon the future with a kind of fantasy type of thinking and a basic symptom of experiencing immature dissatisfaction in our lives is this kind of dwelling upon either past or future as an alternative, as a substitute to really understanding the dissatisfaction that's taking place in the present? It's not possible to bypass our present in order to get to the future. It's not possible to bypass our actualities in order to fulfill our ideals. It's not possible to bypass who we are if we're going to fulfill our potential. If we can see that it's not possible to do that kind of bypassing, then surely we see then the importance of actually being able to be present with our dissatisfaction, to be present with the actuality of our lives, to be conscious with our dissatisfaction, to be conscious with our actuality, to understand the gap that exists between ideals and actuality, and to understand what really prevents us from bringing our ideals to fruition. If we can learn to be present, with dissatisfaction and discontent, it is possible that we can also learn to utilize our actualities, to learn from our actualities as a tool, as a vehicle for actually fulfilling our ideals. If we attempt to bypass who we are, if we attempt to bypass the discontent in our lives, then basically our relationship to the present, our relationship to our own actuality, inwardly and outwardly, essentially becomes a negative relationship, one where we attempt to deny, to reject, to avoid and to suppress. You know, and when we try to avoid what is happening in our lives, what is happening within ourselves, we can actually become incredibly brutal, and incredibly insensitive towards ourselves. You know, we have these ideas of what we would like to be, who we would like to become. You know, someone who's very loving and accepting and generous. We find ourselves perhaps being angry or being jealous. And the immediate sense in the mind is, I don't want this, I don't like this, I don't want to experience this, this is not the kind of person I want to be. And that very kind of hostility, ourselves invariably means that we either control or we suppress or we tune out or basically we blanket out the experience that is taking place within ourselves. And that kind of suppression and denial or the judgments that come can be a real act of inner abuse and punishment. We may find that our relationships aren't what we want them to be they're not working out, that we don't feel happy within them. It is so much easier to say, well, no, it's not working out, I don't want to deal with it anymore. You know, perhaps try a new one. It's not to say that relationships always will work out, because sometimes they do, they, they simply don't. Sometimes there is an incompatibility there, but sometimes too, our own difficulty in dealing with the unpleasant can lead us so quickly into avoidance that we don't open ourselves to the possibility of learning and of changing, of transforming. We may find that our images of who we should be as a parent aren't being fulfilled. You know, that we're not the person who is always available, always accessible, always loving, always gentle We may find at times that we are overwhelmed, that we are uptight, that we are angry, and we don't like it. This is not who I want to be as a parent. So we try and suppress it. Sometimes, either by just pretending it's not happening, trying, you know, this kind of artificial kind of semblance of love. You know, if you ever tried to be really loving when you feel really angry, you know, it's a kind of gritted teeth kind of love. Or else we endeavor to become this kind of super parent, you know, someone who sacrifices totally their own needs, their own aspirations, in order to fit in with their model of being someone who's always accessible and always available. And so we can't learn that we do have needs and that our needs need to be fulfilled. We can't learn from the very feelings and the experiences that are arising in the moment It's possible to have a creative relationship to discontent. It's possible to have a creative relationship to dissatisfaction. One where we're not denying, when we're not suppressing, but one where there is appreciation and sensitivity. And creativity, to me, is based basically on being able to connect with our actuality. And the more closely we can connect with what we're actually experiencing, the more fully does personal creativity emerge. Emerge in the form of really looking at ways of transformation and really appreciating our own power because we are aware, which is a very special gift. Appreciating the power of our awareness to bring about changes, to make changes that are beneficial both outwardly and inwardly The essence of spirituality is bringing about an ideal, uh, an end to dissatisfaction. And that very essence we may see as being an ideal. And certainly it's an ideal that we respond to, because we would all like to be free from discontent. We'd all like to be free from conflict. And in spirituality, too, we encounter endless other ideals... Sometimes they're made into goals, sometimes they're seen as being necessities, sometimes the qualities that are spoken of in spirituality are seen as being prerequisites really to spiritual growth. You know, spirituality speaks of qualities to aspire to. Spirituality speaks about the importance of detachment and equanimity. Spirituality speaks of the importance of letting go and non-attachment. Spirituality speaks of the importance of renunciation and these are basically goals that are presented and the goal is freedom and the path to that goal is often seen as through developing those particular qualities and yet we hear those qualities and at an ideal level it sounds wonderful, you know renunciation, non-attachment, letting go, non-involvement, great equanimity, On an actual level within ourselves you might find yourself kind of quaking because those ideals can often feel to be very incompatible with your own life. You know it's all very well if you're a monk in a cave or a nun in a monastery to speak of non-attachment and to speak of renunciation and to speak of letting go and to speak of non-involvement. To think and actually consider those qualities in relationship to our own lives, where on a moment-to-moment level, we are working within the context of relationship, is difficult. You know, does renunciation mean that you walk out? You know, does letting go mean that you kind of sacrifice your feelings of, of care and sensitivity and bonding with your children? does non-attachment mean a kind of relinquishing our own feelings of, of care and concern and love and, and, yes, attachment for the relationships that we're in? And sometimes those ideals can seem to be very separate from the reality of our lives, far removed, and they sound great in theory. And in actuality, when we actually begin to consider the place of those spiritual ideals in our own lives, it's very easy then to feel inadequate and to feel spiritually inferior. You know, because we probably might find that we have ideals of what a spiritual life is. And so often our ideals about a spiritual life, they are you know, revolve around, you know, a life that is very removed, a life that is very withdrawn, a life that is very divorced from the, whole, from the very many concerns that we are actually involved in. We probably might have ideals of what a spiritual person is, you know, someone who is uninvolved, unmoved, um, untouched, very much transcending the kind of concerns that we find ourselves dealing with on a day-to-day level in our lives. And how do those qualities that are so highly spoken of in spirituality, relate to the actuality of our lives? Is, there, is that gap unbridgeable? Is that gap too vast ever to be crossed? And if we, can, if we feel that it is, it is unbridgeable, can we then not find ourselves in a place where we're constantly comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves against these ideals that we hold about what a spiritual person is or a spiritual life we know that we have chosen to live within the context of relationship and it is a context which brings great richness and great learning to our lives can it be can we understand spirituality within this context so that spirituality is not something separate, but so that spirituality is integrated into the very way of our lives and so that our relationships are actual vehicles for enriching our own spirituality. Spirituality talks about, again, often that life is suffering. We experience that there's suffering in life. We probably also find that we do experience moments of great joy and peace and happiness and connection. Spirituality sometimes talks about the world being empty and something to get out of and yet we've obviously chosen to stay in it and often the question too does arise of who is going to care for the world if we all get out of it. And where on earth are we ever going to be other than where we are in this world of alienation and violence if if care and concern for the very quality of our world is withdrawn. We need detachment. You know probably we all experience that we do need detachment, that level of perspective. We need it so that we're not overwhelmed. But that detachment is not an absence of feeling. That kind of detachment is not an absence of response. Rather, it's a detachment where we have the perspective where a full responsiveness can emerge, where we're not overwhelmed and not lost in habitual reactions. And so a full and fresh response can emerge and be expressed in our lives we need equanimity. We probably all appreciate the value of equanimity in our lives. The kind of steadiness where we can really be present and conscious with what is. But so often equanimity can degenerate so that meditation becomes a kind of watchdog, a kind of sensor of responses. You know, we have this ideal of equanimity where nothing touches us or nothing moves us. And yet at the same time, we find ourselves laughing and crying and weeping and feeling elated and at times grieving and at times feel very joyful. And our equanimity is not to put us in a place of being a watchdog and a censor of those responses. Our equanimity is to bring to us that kind of inner steadiness, that inner stability, so that we can respond, not that we're a watchdog, but so that we can actually be present with our feelings. Our equanimity is so essential so that we can actually be present and conscious with our emotions and with our responses. We need, of course, to let go of many things in our lives. We need to let go of so much of the kind of striving that we do. We need to let go of, so many of the kind of ideals that are very dehumanized and removed from our actuality. We never need to let go of trust. We never need to let go of connectedness. You know, attachment, you know, spirituality speaks of non-attachment and we can see and do experience in our lives the burden and the conflict that comes from attachment, that comes from a place of real neediness within ourselves, where we don't know how to be alone and are afraid to be alone. And yet it's also obvious to us probably that attachment is part of relationship, you know, and that the qua- in, within the quality of attachment is the capacity to bond and the capacity to trust. But one can we can have that bonding and we can have that trust without ever losing that inner quality too of knowing our own aloneness and being comfortable within that. And there is a level of attachment that is very negative and very unhealthy. And there's a kind of attachment too of bonding and connectedness which is incredibly crucial to our own growth and to the health of the relationships that we're in. When we have our ideals. Our ideals can be used to dehumanize our spirituality. Our ideals can also be used to humanize our spirituality. We need to be able to employ our ideals, not to divorce us from where we are in our lives, but to make us more present with where we are, to actually enrich where we are, We need detachment not to withdraw, but to free ourselves from our habitual reactions. We need so that we can call upon our own resources of clarity and energy. We need equanimity so that we're not overwhelmed, but so that we can meet the present and to be fully present. We need to let go of our judgments and our striving, but not of our trust and connectedness. We need our own inner wisdom to kind of end the wars that can so easily exist within ourselves, between our ideals and our actualities. And that war exists when we don't know how to be present with what is. When we don't know how to be present with what is, we deny who we are, we deny our experience, and our minds are always reaching for what is not ending that war between our ideals and actualities, it comes through our wisdom and comes through our equanimity. And when that equanimity and inner wisdom is there, we do basically return to the present. We do basically return to who we are. We do basically return to where we are right now in our lives. And within that experience of knowing who we are and where we are, there can be mature dissatisfaction and that mature dissatisfaction is a source of inspiration for us because that mature dissatisfaction brings energy and brings vitality and that mature dissatisfaction is pretty essential for bringing about change. But bringing about change that is creative change, not change that's based on denial or based upon suppression. And then our ideals are beneficial to us. And our ideals are are based essentially upon our trust in ourselves. Our trust in our own potential to be a fully clear, a fully loving, a fully generous person within our lives, within our relationships. And knowing that that potential is born of connecting with our own resources, That potential is not given to us, it's not fulfilled for us by anything else. But the potential that we have within ourselves is born of connecting with the resources that we also hold within ourselves. And meditation in many ways is not to become someone different, not to become something. Meditation is so much concerned with kind of clearing away those veils of limited images. Clearing away those, those veils of mistrust in ourselves. Clearing away those, those veils that lead us to think of ourselves or see ourselves in a limited, defined way. And the clarity that comes through meditation, the perspective, the sensitivity, basically connects us to the resources that we hold within ourselves, the resources that are the path to our own fulfillment, and the resources that are the path to bringing peace and sensitivity and joy to the actuality of our lives and in that bringing in that gift basically the gap between actuality and ideal dissolves and we find that we can be present and we can be present in the moment in a way of peace and in a way in which there is fulfillment May all beings live with creativity, may all beings live with sensitivity, may all beings live with awareness.